Welcome to Momentum Church. Hi, everybody. Momentum family. Good morning. Good morning. I love that intro video. It makes me chills. It's like I don't even have to preach. I'm playing. <laughs> All right. I'm just playing with you. I'm playing with you. So good. So good. Well, I, my name is Brian. I'm the assistant pastor here. I'm just letting you know that because Pastor Ross isn't preaching this morning, our lead pastor. But um, I get the privilege to preach on this topic in just a second. And uh, my wife and myself and our kids, we just came back um, from a vacation. And I noticed that the weather has changed, right? A little bit. Like I was walking around last evening. I was like, fall, where have you been? It's one of my favorite times of the year. It makes me feel so much better. I don't know what it is, but I breathe better. Right? I'm just like, yeah, I feel better. I, mean, I don't know if it's trees dying or something. I don't know. <laughs> People are like, no, not the trees. I'm like, well, they make me stuffy. So it's all right. And, uh, but here's what I want to do before we jump into this. Uh, I just want us to take a few seconds, and we can close our eyes. We can take a big breath and just allow God's presence to, to meet us here. It's already here. God's already here with us in this moment. So God, we just take a moment. All right, thank you, Lord. So we started the series uh, last week, and I didn't say this in the first service, but if you missed last week, Pastor Ross gave us a great overview of the tabernacle. Now, this is the Old Testament tabernacle. This is what Moses had his hands in constructing. And so I would encourage you to go back and maybe watch those video, watch that video. You can do that on YouTube or the church's website. It might even be easier just to give you more detail because I'm not going to have the time today to do an overview of everything. We're going to focus on uh, just two things. And today is actually Yom Kippur. He mentioned that yesterday. Uh, this is the Day of Atonement, which would be on the Jewish calendar. It's the holiest day. It's the one of fasting and prayer and asking God for forgiveness. And I am thankful as a Christ follower that Jesus came and I can have the holiest of days any day. I can say, God, you're with me all day long and I can celebrate his goodness. Amen? Oh, we got some amens. All right. We're going to put our primary focus on two pieces of furniture. Um, these pieces of furniture are found in the outer court. And that's what we're looking at. We're looking at the outer court outside the tabernacle. Now, Moses receives a word from God, and he's told exactly how everything in the tabernacle should be constructed. And the pieces of furniture that should be placed in it. Now, when I think about tents, I think about a tabernacle, I'm not one to camp very much, okay? I got looking around my house, and I realized I don't even have a tent. I said, man, that's kind of pitiful. <laughs> Someone's shaking their head. I, you know, I got a boy that's seven years old and a one that's getting a little old. I'm, well, not old enough, but I looked around, I'm like, I don't even have a tent, but I was in Royal Rangers when I was a kid. If you don't know what that is, like a Christian Boy Scout. And uh, we'd go camping and put tents up, and that was pretty cool. And contrary to popular belief about my involvement in tents, I actually have a lot of time spent in one particular tent. I don't know if you have a picture up there of that tent, but this tent, that's a big tent, let me tell you. That's almost like a permanent type of tent. And uh, I went to ministry school for nine months, and I spent five to six days a week, hours upon hours, studying for ministry in that tent right there. So it brings back a lot of memories. And you're like, 
Why, why the big tent? Well, the church that had the school was just in a season of growth that was crazy, and they had to have something for overflow. And so they said, well, the fastest thing that we can do is to put down on the other side of the campus this big, giant, permanent tent. So I spent a lot of time in it. And also, I kind of like to think that because I spent a lot of time in a tent, I'm a little more spiritual because it's like Old Testament. So I'm like, hey, you know, kind of, <laughs> I was a PK kid in the 90s, a pastor's kid. And uh, there was this CCM, Christian Contemporary Music era happening that was, you know, just everywhere on the radio, it seemed like. Couldn't get away from it. And my mom and dad, they had this Chevy aluminum minivan, I'll never forget. And uh, it was this awful green color. I mean, it was like a terrible color. And we, we <laughs> maybe they liked it then. I don't know, it was the 90s. But we'd be in that minivan and we would listen to all these different worship songs. And there was this particular song that we would hear all the time because we had their tape. That's right. It wasn't a CD, I don't think at the time, but it was a tape. And uh, it would play. And this band is Petra. I don't know if you know who Petra is. And they had this song. I didn't expect like, (laughs) all right. Rock on. Um, so we would listen to, to this over and over again. It was this praise album of theirs. And there was this particular song that would come on called Take Me In. And that song, when I, when I was given this sermon to be a part of and, and to share with you today, it brought me back to that song. I, I got thinking about how beautiful the lyrics of that song were. And I will say this, you know, parents, uh, for us in the room that are parents, whatever you play in your car, at your house, it actually holds a lot of significance that your kids remember that. Because I remember this, and this has been a long time. This was in the early, actually the late 80s, early 90s, and remembering these words. I want to read these words to you. These are the lyrics to the song, and this is what it says. It says, take me past the outer courts into the holy place. Past the brazing altar, Lord, I want to see your face. Pass me by the crowds of people and the priests who sing your praise. I hunger and thirst for your righteousness, and it's only found one place. Take me in to the holy of holies. Take me in by the blood of the lamb. Take me into the holy of holies. Take the coal, cleanse my lips. Here I am. Take the coal. Cleanse my lips. Here I am. I want to pray over us today. Father, I thank you for what you have for us. Help our focus and attention to be on you, Jesus. As we look at these two pieces of furniture in a moment, help us realize the symbolic references that it makes to you, God. That Jesus, you desire to be with your people. We thank you, Lord. Let this word be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I gotta tell a little bit about myself because I'm not one that actually likes to come to the altar very often. And I know what you're probably thinking. You're like, that's a horrible thing to say as a pastor. I get it. My natural response is not one to say, hey, I'm just gonna go to the altar, okay? I'm a little more reserved, a little more held back. Um, I know that when the Holy Spirit speaks to me and prompts me to come down to the altar, that I come, okay? So I want you to think like, hey, this guy, he's something wrong. He's not even coming to the altar. No. Actually, I love to sit in the front row. We got some front row people this morning, right? I love some front row 
front row uh, sitting there. And the reason for that, too, is because I'm practically already at the altar, right? A little, little cheating, I guess. I can raise my hands. I only have to take like two steps. and like, boom, I'm there. I'm at the altar. I've prepared myself. I'm already there. I've thought it through, okay? I know the importance of the altar. There's another reason, too, is I think when I was growing up, looking back at it, I would see different times people come to the altar over and over again. And they would, they would do this. And, and because I'm a little cynical and a little judgmental, I would just think to myself, is anything even happening? Why are they coming to the altar? Does it seem that there's like, it's just emotional response. They're just coming and nothing's going on. And so I would, I would kind of question that, right? And I would wonder, why are they coming to the altar? And really, it was in the questioning of asking that, that God starts to answer us. It's okay to question the things of God, why we do them, coming to the altar. He started to reveal it to me. And so as I think I've matured, maybe <laughs> a little bit, I know now that understanding the importance of the altar, it's the response to say, God, I want to be near to you because you've always been there to me. It's not just done because it's something that we take lightly, but it's bringing ourselves to him because he's always been near to us. Now, in Exodus, we're going to look at the construction of the altar and the laver. These are two really important pieces of furniture in the outer court. And as we read Exodus 38, verse 1, I'd like us to stand for this. If you could, just stand for the reading of God's word. It's important. It's a tradition that we have here at the church where we honor the word of the Lord. This is what it says. It says, he made the altar out of burnt offering of acacia wood. Five cubics was its length and five cubics its breadth. It was square and three cubics was its height. He made horns for it on its four corners. Its horns were one piece with it and he overlaid it with bronze. And he made all the utensils of the altar, the pots, the shovels, the basins, the forks, and the fire pans. He made all the utensils of bronze. And he made for the altar a grating, a network of bronze under its ledge, extending halfway down. He cast four rings on the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles. He made the poles of acacia wood and overlaid them with bronze. And he put the poles through the rings on the sides of the altar to carry it with them. He made it hollow with boards." Verse 8, he made the basin of bronze. This is the laver. He made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. You may be seated. All right. There's some uh, importance there when it comes to the construction of this. God was very intentional how he wanted them to build this particular altar. Jesus is actually seen in the construction of the altar. And to see Jesus in the construction of the altar, I like what the book by David M. Levy says. The book is called The Tabernacle, The Shadows of the Messiah. Now, this is a little lengthy, but I'm going to read this to you. And if you would like, you can even write down the references. I'll give those to you as well as I read it. So just kind of tune in for a second. Listen close as I read it. It says, the altar was a very simple hollow box of shatim, which is Hebrew for acacia wood, overlaid with brass. 
seven and a half feet square, stood four and a half feet high. So as you can imagine, as you may have seen the altar in a picture, it's seven by seven by about four and a half feet high. It's quite large. And it had four horns pointing outward at each corner. A brass grate extended through its middle in which the brass rings were fastened at each corner, just like we read in scripture. Wooden staffs covered the brass were put through the rings for carrying the altar. Now it continues. It says the altar was not Moses' creation. God had revealed it to him on the mount. It suggests inside the court gate, which is a reference there at Acts chapter 40, verse 6. Facing the tabernacle. It was the largest piece of furniture used in worship and was also open to guilty Israelites so they could atone for their sins. For Christians, like you and I, the altar is full of symbolic meaning and spiritual teaching. The shatim, the acacia wood, is a hard, indestructible, incorruptible wood that grows in the Sinai Desert. It beautifully portrays the humanity of Christ who came from a root out of dry ground, which we see in Isaiah 53.2, and was sinless in his human nature, which is in Hebrews 4, verse 15, and chapter 7, verse 26. The indestructibility of the wood speaks of Christ in his humanity, which withstood the fire of crucifixion, John 10, 18, and the decaying effect of the grave, Acts 2, 31. And his body, which was victoriously resurrected in Matthew 28, 5 through 6. The brass covering over the shatim wood templified the divine righteousness and judgment of Christ, the righteous one, who took the divine judgment of God upon himself and bore our judgment on the cross by becoming sin for us in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. As the Israelites were saved from death when they looked at the brass serpent that Moses held up in the wilderness, so all who trust in Jesus Christ, who was lifted up on the cross, was a sacrifice for sin, will be saved from damnation. In John 3, 14 through 15. Christ's appearance to John on the Isle of Patmos with feet like bronze as they were burned in a furnace spoke of his judicial character in judging his enemies at the second coming. The four horns on the corners of the altar spoke of power and were used in bringing the sacrifice to the altar. They were also sprinkled with blood on the sacrifice which we see in Exodus 29, 12. The sacrifice tied to the horns pointed to Christ, unfaltering commitment to carry out the Father's will. Hebrews 10, 5 through 7, when he allowed himself to be nailed to the cross for our blood atonement. We're almost finished with this. It says this, his blood on the cross expiates the sins of all who are willing to put their faith in his sacrificial death. The blood-stained horns pointed outward and upward toward the four corners of the world, reminding us of the saving power of Christ's blood that will be witnessed throughout the world. That's in Acts 1.8. All right. It's a beautiful description, and there's enough in that description probably to teach us several things and have several different teachings on it. But I just love how he was able to take the altar and all the parts of it and bring us back to Jesus. It's at the altar, I believe, we hear, I have come to give you life. 
That's the good news. It's at the altar we hear and we proclaim, I've come to give you life. We have this section that we call the altar. We have a response that we call the altar call. We know it's somewhere that we can come down and receive God's power, bring our burdens to God, lay them at his feet, say, Jesus, I'm gonna cast all my cares on you. I'm gonna bring a sacrifice of praise. Jesus is seen in the sacrifice that was placed on the altar. I can imagine the priest had some days that they felt like maybe how I did about not coming to the altar. Day after day, they had to bring a sacrificial lamb once in the morning, once at sunset. And then on the Sabbath, they did it two in the morning and two in the evening. There was work involved for them to come to the altar. It was a sacrifice, and these lambs point to the Lamb of God we see in Isaiah 53, 7. And it says it like this. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. This is talking about Jesus. Like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that bore its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. And then again in 1 John 29, it says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus gave up his life so that we may have life. The altar proclaims the message of justification. Now that's a big word, but justification just simply means right standing with God. We can have that right standing with God because of Jesus. We probably all at times feel like bringing something as a sacrifice can be difficult. Let's be honest, we have busy lifestyles. I mean, I can't think of probably anybody in the room that doesn't work their fair share of time, that probably doesn't have to deal with, you know, all the other things that come along with it. And maybe just being here on a Sunday morning is your sacrifice. You're saying, listen, my wife, she was here first service. She tells me after second service, I got to go do some things real quick and, and get back. Busyness is all around us. So maybe that's your sacrifice, just being here. Maybe your sacrifice is something more. Maybe your sacrifice is finding yourself serving, giving your time and your talents to the Lord, saying, God, I'm going to give you all that I have in that area. Possibly the sacrifice that you need to bring to the altar looks a lot bigger or feels bigger Maybe it even sits a little deeper. Maybe it's that depression and anxiety that you deal with. You've searched and you've got a good counselor. Nothing wrong with that. That's great. Maybe there's something more, medication you've had to take, and that's just fine as well. But possibly you've never actually turned it fully over to God. And in that moment when you turn it fully over to God and you say, God, I'm going to just give you my cares and my burdens because they're too much for me to bear. I believe in those moments, God begins to give you the peace to deal with it. Maybe your struggle is something different. Maybe your sacrifice is that relationship that you know has been on the rocks for quite some time. Like the family member you haven't talked to like in a really long time because you had a feud, you know, and it all kind of blew up and you just kind of like, eh, I'm done with you or, or that close friend that used to be close and for whatever reason, you just ghost them every single time, <laughs> you know? Maybe that's, your, maybe that's your sacrifice that you need to bring to the altar and say, God, I'm gonna give it to you. I want this relationship that only you can take care of to be mended and put back together. There's so many things that we can bring to the altar 
What's that one thing that maybe today you're afraid of bringing to the altar? The sacrifice that we have to bring to the altar, when we do that, when we bring the sacrifice, it honors God. A sacrifice has to be made if we want to honor God with our life. When we come to the altar, we're choosing his agenda, God's agenda, over our selfish ambitions, our self-fulfilling desires. So what is the sacrifice that you need to make? What's that one thing holding you back from the life that Jesus has for you, that he came to give you? When you give yourself to the Lord, it's at that moment you find true freedom. As we move from that altar that we see in the outer court, we get to move to the laver. Now, the laver is this basin full of water, and it's important to state that it's only by the justification, being in right standings with God, which we can do because of Jesus, that we find at the altar that we can move to the sanctification. So you have justification, now you have sanctification at the laver. Now, the laver proclaims the message of sanctification. Now, that's also a pretty big, lengthy word, but in simple terms, sanctification is the act of separation from which is evil and of dedication unto God. And I want us to focus in and hone in on that dedication unto God, okay? The priest would move from the altar with bloody hands and dirty feet from the tabernacle court to wash in the laver. Purification was mandatory for the priest to minister before the Lord. Now, for us to be in dedication with God, that's probably what you think when you hear discipleship. Um, and a lot of times we use like the word discipleship as I'm discipling someone, but it's discipleship in our own life, right? It's a formation. It's coming to Christ. It's saying that I'm going to give you my all day after day. Each year, as the high priest would wash on the day of atonement, like today, put on the holy linen garments and made an atonement for themselves and the children of Israel. Now, we see this in Leviticus 16.24. But on every other day of the year, the priests only had to wash the defilement from their hands and feet before entering the tabernacle to serve. Carefully dipping their right hands into the laver, they meticulously washed their right hands and their right feet, reversing the process. And then we washed their left hands and their left feet. So there was a process to this. I'm really thankful that we don't have to go through this huge process, all right, <laughs> to enter into a holy place because it would be a whole lot harder. And just like the Israelites were dependent on these priests, we'd have to depend on someone else. And so now we have Christ, our high priest. There's a position and description as well, the blazing Levere stood in the outer court between the tabernacle and the temple. We've already talked about that, and it had two parts. Now, as you can imagine, this is bronze, and so was the altar. There's significance behind that as well. Um, we don't see gold used here or silver. This was easier to transport. Um, it also is later on when the tabernacle or where the temple was built, they used gold. Um, it was a more permanent type of material and dwelling, so that was important. So the bronze has importance. It has two parts. 
So you have the circular base of the bowl made from the polished brass mirrors that the women brought, and you have the brass foot pedal. And here's what's interesting. Although the size of the laver is not given, it had to be big enough to hold a large amount of water used exclusively by the priests for purification. And this would be fresh spring water, probably from a smitten rock, was poured continually into the laver for daily purification. I thought that this was really interesting because it made me think of how we have water baptism, okay? And we have to have a cleansing, right? But what I was really, when I read that and thought about it a lot, was could you imagine just dirty water in our tub up here? It had to be clean. Now, I was actually baptized in a river, so it was pretty dirty. It was really dirty. But that's besides the point. The point is that there is no measurement given for this. And the reason there's no measurement given for this particular piece of furniture where they wash is because this was symbolic, and it symbolizes the cleansing power of God. You see, there's no measurement for the cleansing of power of God in your life. You cannot stop that when you tap into it and you say, God, I'm giving you my all. God's not looking for you to give 99.9%. He's looking for 100%. And they would have to be completely clean before they could move to the holy place. That's why the altar is so important. Because you first have to make that sacrifice. Then you got to make a daily dedication. <laughs> you got to live daily. You have to want to be like Jesus. You have to want to walk like Jesus. You have to want to say what Jesus says. You have to want to act like Jesus act. That's the dying of yourself. The water in the Levere templified that cleansing power of the word of God. It's through his word that we can be clean. It's also a public display, like I said, of water purification, just like when we're baptized. It's a public display of your faith in Jesus. So we have to get to the word. We have to say, I'm going to be in the word of God daily because it's going to bring purification unto my life. David summed up the believers standing before the Lord very clearly when he wrote this. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Who ha- he who has clean hands and pure hearts. And I don't know about you, but I want to have clean hands and a pure heart. I want to be able to say, God, use me for whatever is needed. Take my life. It's also given to us Later on in Psalms, he says, blessing the Lord. It says this, he who has been cleansed by water in the word of will receive, as the psalmist said, blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God, our salvation in Psalms 24, 5. So it's at the labor we hear Jesus say, I've come to give you, or I've come that you may have life abundantly. So remember, it's at the altar where we hear him say, I've come to give you life. That's that first stepping stone. That's saying, God, I I see your good news. I'm going to follow you with my life. And now he's saying, I've come to give you life abundantly. In this outer court area, it's a public place. Everybody can see what's going on. There's no covering. And when our whole life is engaged and what God has for us, we begin to live life to the fullest. We begin to have an abundant life. And I was thinking about abundant, what that looks like. Living life to its fullest looks different 
than our culture standards, right? I would say don't be deceived by what this world has to offer you, okay? Don't be deceived by it. All the things, all the flashy lights, all the fun toys. Like I said, we just came back from vacation. I want to close with this story because it made me think so much about it. The place that we stayed was this really nice resort. Now, we're not members of this resort, but we have some friends that are, and they allowed us to use it. Well, this has been like our second or third time using it. So I was like, okay, this, this is nice. So we get there, and we check in, we do the whole thing, and I thought it was kind of unusual because the guy said, oh, come with me, you have to go to this other counter. And Okay, so I, I go to this other counter, and the lady's there, and she's like, hi. And she said, um, I just want to uh, tell you that we have a, a free breakfast. I said, oh, okay. She's like, and it only takes, you know, 60 minutes of your time to sit through this. I said, I don't know what's happening right now. I said, okay. So she started talking to me. And she said, so it takes 60 minutes, and she said, uh, for, for, for your free breakfast, and um, we also, at the end of the 60 minutes, we'll give you a $75 gift card. I said, okay. <laughs> I said, well, $75 gift card, that's pretty nice. And I got thinking, I said, well, wait a minute. I said, um, does my wife and I both have to stay in the breakfast? And we got two kids. She's like, yeah, you have to stay through the whole thing to get the $75 gift card. I said, well, I, don't, I just don't know if $75 is going to be worth it to me with two kids, for 60 minutes, for free breakfast. It just, whew, it's vacation. That doesn't sound fun. So I told her, I was like, no, I'm just going to have to pass it up. She said, well, then wait. There's more. <laughs> she didn't say that part, but that's what I felt like. I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> she said, she said I'll, I'll make it a $100 gift card. I said, okay. My ears kind of perked up. I said, okay, we're kind of talking now. I said, $100 gift card, 60 minutes. I can probably keep the boys quiet for that long. <laughs> What do you need from me? Well, I need your information, which I, now I kind of look back and I'm like, that's kind of weird because you already have my information, but whatever. So I started giving her the information and uh, she's like, okay, now I just need a credit card for a $20 deposit. I said, when did my free breakfast become $20? I don't understand this. You know, that's what I was thinking. So I said, well, excuse me, ma'am. I said, um, I thought it was a free breakfast. She said, yeah, it's free. Um, as long as you stay through the whole thing, then we'll give you your $20 back. Then I was like, well, what if I miss it? She's like, well, then, you know, it's $20. I said, well, if I don't stay through the whole thing, well, I guess it's $20. She's like, I'm like, uh, I, I really don't think I want to do this. I'm sorry. And, you know, but I didn't quite say it that nice. I was kind of, I wasn't like rude, rude, but I, I was like, no, I'm not doing, you know, I, I was getting kind of hot in the face and it wasn't the best thing. And um, so, so then she was like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll throw in a, a three-day two nights stay, vacation of a lifetime. I was like, man, I've always wanted a vacation of a lifetime. <laughs> I was like, I'm on vacation right now, wasting a lot of time, but if that's... I was like, okay. So I was like, okay, vacation of a lifetime, $100 gift card. She's like, yeah, and some other stuff that I really didn't care about, but I was like, um, I, I don't know. I was like, you know what? And I, I'm at this point, guys, I'm actually getting pretty like, upset about the whole thing. I drove seven hours to go on vacation. We got there, and it's just the whole thing. It's the end of the day, and I'm just like, I'm wore out. And I wasn't quite that Christ-like, you know what I'm saying? And I, and I said to her, I said, well, just hold on, hold on. So I called for my wife. I'm like, Leah, come here. Because <laughs> I didn't have the emotional capacity to handle this at this point. I'm like, 
do you want to do this? And, and I just don't want to do this. And she's like, um, no, if you don't want to do it, you can just walk away. It's okay. You don't have to do it. I'm like, fine. So I just walk away. <laughs> and it made me think about how, you know, like we can be deceived pretty quickly in the things of this world. And I walk away. The story doesn't end there because then I get back to our room and we're having a pretty good time. And, and I'm just like, oh, no, I wasn't very nice. I got to call back down to that lady. Actually, I think it was my wife that told me. Uh, she said, <laughs> she said uh, you, <laughs> you were pretty rude to her. You weren't very nice. I said, yeah. And then I looked down. And guys, I was wearing a Momentum shirt. It said hope on it. <laughs> you should have said loser. <laughs> I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I was like, now I have to call. <laughs> it's the voice of the Lord. So I called call down and I told her, I said, ma'am, I said, uh, I was down there just a minute ago and, uh, you know, I was short-tempered with you and, and I understand you're doing your job and I'm sorry that I was just kind of not very nice and She's like, whoa, well, thanks for calling. She's like, do you want to purchase? I said, no, no, I don't want to. <laughs> I said, come on. So I'm trying to do my best. I said, no, I don't want it. <laughs> so please. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. So <laughs> I was just trying to, trying to do my best. So long story short, she was just like, okay, okay. And I said, thank you so much. I got thinking just how that, at times, we can be really deceived by the things of this world. <laughs> that quickly a free breakfast turned into a $20 ordeal and a 60-minute stay and all this kind of thing. And I was like, I don't have time for that. But what I'm trying to say here is that we have to say, God, I want to give you my life. And he's going to say, well, I want to give you abundant life, but it's not going to maybe always look the way you thought it was going to look. His abundance is peace. His abundance is joy. His, is, his abundance is staying with you when times get really tough. His abundance is his word saying, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm going to be with you through all the things you have to deal with in this life. That is an abundant life. Those priests, what they had to do, bringing a spotless lamb to the altar, representing Jesus now. We see that as a symbolic reference. Going and washing their hands and preparing in a certain way. I think about that and I think about how we have a high priest that he's given a life, laid it down for us. And because of that, we don't have to go through those processes. We can look back on him. We can thank God. We can glorify him for it. We can see how those pieces of furniture now still bring glory to his name. So how do those two pieces of furniture, I would say in 2023, how do they help us? Well, it helps us remember God is always desiring to dwell among his people. He's always making a way. He was with them there. He's with us now. And one day we'll be with him. There's an altar for us to draw close to God and a labor where we can ground ourselves in his word to have abundant life. One that has meaning and purpose. And that's what I want for you today. 
I'd want for your life to have meaning. I want for your life to have purpose. I want you to understand that there may be a lot of things that we can look at in scripture, especially in the tabernacle, and we can go through all the ways that stuff was made, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, but it always brings us back to Jesus. Jesus is at the center of it all. And he wants to be in the center of your life today. He wants you to walk daily so that you can have an abundant life. Not one that's full of all the things of this world, $75 gift cards and <laughs> vacation stays of a lifetime. No, he wants you to know in your hardest moment that he's the Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He wants your life to have meaning and purpose because it's at the altar where we see justification, what Jesus did for us. It's at the labor where we know that we are in his word washing daily and following him. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for being all you are to us. God, your ways are sovereign and pure, and we thank you for this word today. There are so many things that we can touch on and look at. But God, as we just look on a couple of these simple pieces of furniture in the outer court, Lord, let us live a life in the outer court that gives you glory and honor. That no matter where we go, people would see you and us. This life might not be easy at times. It might bring us a lot of hurt. But Jesus... We choose to follow you. We choose to lay our cares and our burdens at your feet, at the altar. The things that are troubling us, we put it at the altar this morning. We stay in your presence. We thank you for what you've done and what you have to come in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. For more information, please check out www.momentumchurch.tv.